Hello and welcome to another episode of Postcards from Antioch, a teaching and discipleship podcast from Barton Church. And today we're joined by Nicole. Yes, hello. I'm James, by the way, I didn't mention that before. <laughs> Nicole, and yep. uh, we're going to talk about liberation theology. We are, yes, I'm very yeah. excited. Uh, I can see it on I'm your very face. Excited. Uh, I'm yes. sure everyone at home it's all is like, even more li- excited. Liberation yeah. theology, I've, I've been waiting for this That's one. That's right. It's been, um, I, get, I get four emails a day at least saying, when are you going to do a podcast on liberation theology? That doesn't surprise me. That well, does not surprise me. It's not true. But. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is actually one of two. Yes. Uh, so we're doing, I'm doing two on like social justice C. Yeah. I mean, it's a very loose theme, but social social, social justice issues. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is the second one. Okay. So liberation theology. So I imagine there may be some people listening or watching mm-hmm. who aren't familiar with that term, or maybe they've heard it, but they don't know what it means. And I, I hope you're going to clarify Enlighten everything for us. us. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Although I'm not gonna lie, my I was gonna start by asking you, James, what do you like? What do you know about it? What, what, what do, do I you know think? Well, okay. Of when I say liberation theology, so liberation theology, as I understand it, mm-hmm. is uh, a particular school of theological thought that yep. originated in uh, sort of Central and South America or Latin America, <laughs> as yeah, as it's also known. Yep, I've been reminded recently that <laughs> that's what you call that those blockers. <laughs> It's just my geography is very poor, so I know what I know what you mean when you yeah. say Latin America. When you say Central, I'm like Central okay, America. Which, what is yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> but South yeah, South America. So Latin America, and it's a um, school of theological thought that is primarily concerned with addressing with the gospel as a tool or a means, or the fact that part of the gospel is about redressing social injustices. Mm. It's not mm-hmm. just a spiritual salvation. Mm. There's uh, mm-hmm. there should be some sort of physical manifestation of justice. Uh, yeah, I've just now. realized I gave it away a little bit by saying we're doing two sessions on social justice, and well, then uh, yeah. yeah. But no, no, thank you. That's that's a good. Um... I did know that you're trying to make me look bad. Aren't you? <laughs> trying to make out. That I mean, I that's I know, live I for. Yeah, I just yeah. live for trying to undermine James. Yeah. James. Um, yeah, but you know, you're exactly right. So it's it's born out of. Uh, no, I just desperately want to say Central America, Latin America, Central America, South America. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, to be fair, it doesn't it doesn't stop there. So actually, it's born out of the Roman Catholic Church as well. But okay, again, yep. it doesn't. Um, it's not exclusively. It's, no, no, it's not at all exclusively Roman a Roman Catholic, Catholic um, theology. And actually, you have different groups that pick it up as well. So um, it, actually, I should preface that by saying so. Yes, yeah, so, so broadly speaking, it looks at. Um, the Bible or theology from the point of view of, of those who've been socially or politically oppressed. Yeah. Okay, so the yeah, marginalized. Yeah. Yes. So what you see are marginalized peoples yep. really associating with that and mm-hmm. saying, oh, we, we get it. Like that makes sense for us. Yes. Um, and, so, and so what you have is obviously got Latin America, um, Latin American uh, liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Um, you have black liberation theology yep. as well. So that's a, a really big movement. Um and then you also have, it kind of uh, pervades lots of different theologies, but uh, feminist theology also pick mm-hmm. it up a little bit. Yeah. So anywhere that you've got peoples who have been oppressed yes. or exploited. Yeah. Um, and um, we are mainly going to be looking at Latin American theology. Yeah. Um, mainly because that's the one I know most about. <laughs> that's a good enough reason. Um, mm, yeah. 
so yeah i think maybe let's just start with maybe a bit of the history yeah sounds um, good and then perhaps we can look at some of the main themes and um aspects of it as we go along yeah right yeah yeah that sounds great <laughs> great well perhaps i'm gonna i'm gonna flip this on you and just say when do you think it started okay. obviously we've said it's a latin american yeah. so we know it's happening somewhere in latin america yeah. but like yeah when so what sort of context are we talking about well do you know so i would i'm gonna say the, the 1960s <laughs> <laughs> you are spot on yeah See, we, I knew that. Yeah, I knew clever. that. We'd already, we've actually already discussed. We have actually discussed when it happened. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, the 1960s um, in Latin America, mm-hmm. as a result, I imagine of the 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 political upheaval going on in that part of the world yeah. at that time. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of political upheaval, a lot of dissatisfaction with government, um, and a lot of. Um, communist um, okay social actually a socialist i think more than communist um but i ideologies sort of at play there so it's it's quite a turbulent situation and you're right yeah spot on 1960s um i'm gonna take us back to the very beginning of the 1960s Mm -hmm. um to a very important event called vatican ii okay yeah Um, i love that it's called vatican ii i don't know why it just seems such a was there a vatican one i don't i genuinely don't know i feel like i don't know either there must have been. I don't know. I mean, it's it's in Roman mm. numerals, like yeah. after it, it's Vatican, then the Roman so numeral for two. It so it's a Vatican bit more form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's an absolutely hilarious nickname. But um, Vatican II, really, really important event. Yeah. Do you know what it is or what it is? Yeah, as my understanding, is was a large, uh, big conference, sort of global um discussion and debate in the roman catholic church Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sort of examining roman catholicism and what it should look like in as they moved into the second part of the 20th century like i know they discussed things like using latin yeah services and things Mm -hmm. like that whether that sort of um made people feel excluded and all kinds Mm. of yeah all kinds of issues were talked about that that i mean that's exactly right i mean it's it's hugely hugely influential and it, it it did really shape the roman catholic church um yeah in the latter part of the 20th century moving into the 21st i mean um th- yeah you're right they discussed the the whether it was necessary to have all of the masses mm. in latin and and of course the the outcome of that was actually know that you could now have the vernacular yeah. uh, masses so people can understand what is being said more easily um it's also had a hugely missional um yes. missional influence like the the idea of um you know the the laity having um what's the word i want like that they needed to be missionaries too. That mm. it wasn't just all yeah. about the priests going out and spreading the word. That as laity, they they're part of you know God's mission. And um, you have this beautiful phrase. So this is this is like tangential, but I really love I really love this bit. Um, that you have this phrase that the church is by is missionary by its very nature. Yeah. The idea of that the church is there for God's mission. Um, so you have all of these important ideas. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because then the the cardinals and, and other um, bishops were sent away and said, okay, now go and go and put this into your own contexts. Mm. Um, and this is what the the Latin American priests did. They went away and, and thought about these um, some of these issues that had been raised. Um, 
and came up, not just off the back of this, obviously they were responding to the political situation, but came up with, mm. with liberation theology. Okay. Um, so they looked out and they saw the oppression yeah. of, of the poor in particular. Um, they, the squalor, the slums, the, the, the way that, um, yeah, the, the poor being expressed, uh, expressed, oppressed and exploited. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually saw the big institutions that were allowing this to happen. Yeah. And in, in some cases of which was the, the church yeah. was allowing this to happen. The, not always the, the church was involved on multiple sides of the different conflicts mm. that were happening in, in, yeah. in those regions. Sorry. But but sometimes the church was actually on the side of the oppressors and they mm. obviously took, you know, had a problem with this yeah. and said, this is not in line with the thought. Okay. So, Sound, are you following me so yeah, far? Yeah, yeah. It's quite a lot right. of um, history and uh, facts. And in fact, actually, that's why I've got my notes because I've got yeah. lots of dates written down, which yeah. makes so me so happy. Relatively speaking, it's quite a recent thing, I suppose, the 60s. They're not in living memory for you <laughs> I remember you and them I. well. But in terms, it's not even a 100 years old kind of as a yeah, theological tradition. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Because I, yeah, I suppose for me, I f- feel like, oh, it was quite a while ago. But yeah. you're right. No, it is. In some ways, it's still a fairly modern. Yeah, and I, I suppose, theology. as you mentioned, other other oppressed people's groups are have built on it, have taken it on. So mm. it remains relevant in the sense that although it's no longer the 60s, there is still oppression and still inequality. Mm. And so any any group that's involved in that, um, I suppose any group that's involved in that from a Christian perspective and ha- has the theological way of thinking about the situation is involved in some form of liberation theology, would you say? In some In some forms, I think... Yes, the heart at the heart of what liberation theology. Yeah, the, yeah, I would say the heart yeah, of liberation I, theology I is in those kind of good, movements. It's a good question: is what's mm. at the heart? What makes liberation theology different from just saying, "Well, let's start a charity to help the poor people," which is what um, you know Christians have been doing that for centuries, mm. for millennia. They've been involved in relief efforts, but what mm. makes the liberation theology different to just charity? Or well, that is a great charity. Uh, great charity. <laughs> that is a great charity. Um, that is a great, great question, actually. And perhaps we could think a little bit more about what charity is. Like, mm. how how do you define charity? How do I define it? Yeah, yeah. Like well, I suppose in the broadest sense. Yeah. And this is, I know this doesn't answer the question, but the idea of doing good for okay. others. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah doing good for others yeah okay right. yeah so, so you caught me out have you there no no not quite not quite out at all because i think that's a very it's a very accurate description yeah, yeah. um but i would say this is where liberation theology comes in because yeah. they would very much see them doing good with others yes okay so it's the, yeah. the with that becomes really important because i mean what what are some of the dangers then of of charity yeah. if we use that definition of yeah. doing good for it, others it can build a divide between mm-hmm. you and the people you're trying to help like us and them like yeah. we're the ones giving the yeah. charity you're the ones receiving it um it can make people uh dependent mm. on charity but uh, or it can also uh maybe build uh pride or even contempt maybe in the 
people doing charitable mm. work, uh, particularly, I suppose, if your charitable work doesn't bear the fruit you want it to or people don't seem grateful or anything mm. like that. Yeah. So this is a really interesting one and, and it is on it is on topic, but as as everything I love to type back yeah. to food because that's, that's <laughs> what I study. Um and actually some of the these are some of the big criticisms that come out of food banks. So if there is a, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. very pro food banks and um they are um you know that yeah. there is an emergency need that needs filling but but they some of the criticisms exemplify what you're saying exactly that yeah um you know the recipients are expected to feel gratitude even if it's not the the brand or the kind of food that they want um so that sometimes the donations don't the donations don't even meet the needs yeah of what what people yeah the needs what of they the need, people yeah um and and there can be this real division of the the savior mm. um and and often this is um, on a global scale actually we, we can see this tied to race as well you have this yeah. white savior complex of you know the the modern western caucasian um going and saving the underdeveloped nations. so i yeah. mean whilst the bible definitely um is is pro doing good like i don't yeah, yeah. i don't want to say charity <laughs> is bad like i, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that but I think there are some real criticisms, um, and this is this is when a liberation theology can be really, really helpful mm. actually, because it is really challenging about working with with people, um, and so actually to to go back then to the the history of it, you have the um, the Latin American, I think it's the I'm going to check my notes, the second Latin American Bishops Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, which meets at the end of the 1960s and they start to discuss some of these ideas and they um they come up with a a phrase called um which states god has a preferential option for the poor so it's quite a famous um phrase now and it kind of explores the the idea that actually yeah god god really cares for the poor mm-hmm. um that he he um in some ways almost has a preference for the underdog for yeah. for the marginalized um and it's only by working with those people groups um that we will actually be able to understand therefore god better yeah um as well as pointing to all of the injustices that the poor suffer and wanting to eradicate them and <laughs> not not the poor <laughs> eradicate. <laughs> eradicate the injustices um but that, and, that's yeah. another Im- perhaps distinction is liberation theology is also about eradicating injustice it's not about just about maintaining the status quo necessarily yeah but caring for the poor but you know not doing anything about the root causes of poverty a hundred percent um and this is where liberation theology and latin american liberation theology becomes slightly controversial because we've already um touched on the fact that there's political upheaval socialism coming in um in that context and what they did is that they heavily aligned themselves with marxism Mm -hmm. um so the writers um uh, yeah, some of the most prominent theologians who are priests in in the Catholic movement, yeah. um, they wouldn't say they were Marxists, but they would say they drew on Marxist works yeah. um, in order c- to construct it. And so what we see, I mean, actually, yeah, like well, I've just keep throwing the word Marxist yeah, around. What, what actually ask, is Marxism? Yeah, things? I was just going to ask that. Well, I know Karl Marx. Yep, Karl Marx. Who wrote... Uh, a document called the Communist Manifesto with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. En- Engels, Friedrich Engels, I think. 
Um, I've actually read the Communist Manifesto. Have you? Yeah. I'm impressed. I, I read it while I was at university for 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 uh, one of my classes. Wow. Um, in theology or? Yes, it was in my ethics class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, so it's uh, so Karl Marx had his political theory, and I'm trying to remember what <laughs> what I read that essentially. Um, the his thought was that history was was shaped by struggle really i think mm. the a struggle between, between the working classes and the the bourgeoisie or the yeah. the, the the haves and the have nots the workers and those who have the who control the means of productions as well as quite yes. a big split sorry i'm, yes, I'm busting you into Thank your you. own no, answer but no. yeah you know you know the answer i'm trying <laughs> desperately to remember but essentially, mm. the, the the logical conclusion of history is that the workers were going to overthrow, or mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there was going to be a redistribution of wealth based on revolution, really. And an extreme form of redistribution yes. of wealth. This is not just taxing the rich a yeah, bit more. This is that's right. The state takes control and um, of all property. Um, capitalism is uh, seen as really quite bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, redistribution of wealth yeah yeah and and to to the extent where actually private property is seen as a bad thing yeah um so yeah this is quite quite extreme and and these are some of the ideas that we see um coming out in in liberation theology actually they are very Mm anti-capitalism they're very anti having um yeah private property yeah they argue that the way to liberate the poor is is through um I guess communism or, Com- or so- yeah. socialism, and um, although you know that's one element of liberation theology, it became very tainted with with. I mean, it's that's it's hugely political as well. Yes, um, yeah. where it is in that time. I've I've literally just twigged actually. We we keep talking about liberation theologians. We haven't actually named any of no. them, which is absolutely shocking. Yeah, because I mean, if the people at home want to go away and read that's right. some who, of these works, who should, who, d- who should they turn to? Yeah. Um, I Go on, James. Can you I... can you rattle off any of the names? Of course, they're all they're all you know Spanish, Latin American. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I know any. I'm sure mm. when you tell me, I will. Yeah, you will. Have heard You'll be like, oh yeah. Um, so the the priest that is is normally credited as being the the first liberation theology is Gutierrez, okay. Gustave Gutierrez. Right. Um, and he writes yep. his Theology of Liberation, which is obviously that's the English translation. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to offend anyone by trying to read <laughs> it in Spanish. Spanish. Um, so he wrote that in 1971. So you're seeing these, these ideas are progressing. Yeah. Um, and then there are other um, theologians, Leonardo Boff, I've heard of Leonardo yeah. Boff. Yeah. I actually really like Boff, yeah. I think, you know. Uh, and then it's, it's interesting, actually, because there's a lot in liberation theology that I think is too far and it's t- too yeah. political. But I have to say, actually, it's something that I have a bit of a soft spot for, I okay, guess. Yeah. Um, you heard it see. here first. Yeah, I know. Oh, dear. Um, but yeah, so I, I like Boff's writing. Um, you've got uh, Oscar Romero, Jose Comblin. Yeah, um, okay. oh. as again killing the pronunciation. I'm yeah. very sorry. But, That's all um, right. So yeah, if you do want to go and and read any, then those are some of the okay. the big names to to start with. They're from uh, the around the or, the origins of 
liberation theology they all wrote in the 70s yeah 80s. yeah 70, 70s and um i mean what what we do see is is like um is almost like a peak so mm-hmm. it it gradually builds um popularity and as as it does as it as it becomes bigger and people become more outspoken in the 70s you get the the backlash from the the Roman Catholic Church as an institution. Okay, um, yeah. So um, I, I can't actually remember the, the exact dates and the exact specifics, but basically the, the Roman Catholic Church acknowledged that this is becoming very political mm-hmm. um, and are, um, yeah, quite fervent that, no, that we're not going to endorse this as, a, as an institution. Okay. Um, which... Yeah, so it, it kind of becomes this. It's a Roman Catholic theology, but it's not endorsed yeah, it's by not the f- Vatican. Official. Yeah, yeah, it's from. not taken. Yes, that's that's the best yeah. way to describe it. Um, but it is interesting that um, Pope Francis, at the moment, who is um, mm. himself from from Latin America, yes. he hasn't revoked any of that, um, but he has much more sympathy with the Latin American movement. So he, you know, some of these writers that are still alive um, have been invited to the Vatican, you know, and have been greeted with honor and and respect. And it's not that they're completely... Yeah, um, ostracized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that's, that's, I guess, a bit about the the writers. Um, And of course, then from then it grew and various different protestant denominations and movements mm. we said have have kind of taken it on so yeah yeah okay. it's interesting it is yeah so that's about that's the history what yeah we were I going th- to talk about the some of the key ideas yeah i think maybe we should um open the bible i think that would be good if you're sure I'd like to try and open it at least once it's a dangerous thing to do it's, though it was very dangerous um and let's perhaps talk about where some of this idea for the Okay, the pause yeah. is coming from because actually we've talked a, li- a lot about the theory of seeing oppression which we can all agree yeah you can look around and see oppression but actually why is this a theology mm. um so th- i mean they trace it throughout the whole bible um but can you think of any points in the bible in particular where god might show this preferential option for the poor or the marginalized yes yeah, I, I i think um going back to the Exodus story, mm. the liberation mm. of of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Yeah, imagine the call back to to that idea. Uh, uh, and the the Old Testament prophets are often very vocal in their condemnation of injustice and the the oppression of the poor. Mm. I mean, yeah, they're they're two excellent examples, actually. So we've got. Um, I think a lot of black liberation theology this is the one thing I do yeah. know about black liberation right. theology yeah. is that they often um, draw on yeah the, the narrative of, of Moses and the Israelites yeah. um, leaving yeah the yoke of slavery of of course because they can make you know yes. there are direct parallels there yes. um, where you can clearly see God on the side of the marginalized you know the Israelites cry out to God to save yeah. them from slavery and and God yeah. does. Um, definitely and and um yeah there's there's lots of writings even by protestant or i mean um uh, brueggemann who is a fantastic old testament Walter scholar yeah. yeah do you know what i was I, so i'm doing some work on the prophets at the moment the number of old testament 
theologians whose name is Walter is staggering. Okay. It's 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 a uh, it's a popular Walter. It's so a popular if you're named name, Walter, yeah. you're going to end up as an Old Testament theologian. You heard it here first. That's right. Um, We're breaking all the big stories here. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you've got Brueggemann. He he highlights the the themes of liberation, um, and he's not necessarily a liberation theologian per no. se. But actually, you can really see how he's been influenced and and how, it, yeah, he is able to trace that kind of liberation story. Like, exactly as you said, starting with Moses and going all the way through to the, the prophets. Yeah, I'm actually in the middle of reading uh, The Prophetic Imagination. Oh, is that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and he, uh, listening to you, I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly those first three chapters I think I've read. He's. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly, exactly what he's this. doing, um, and it's a fa- the prophetic imagination, fantastic book. Um, yeah, so, so yes, you, you have these these themes of of liberation in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually going to get us to turn to the New Testament. Okay, so yeah. We grab our Bibles. Um, I love this Bible. Um, so we're looking at Luke 14. Okay. And I'm not going to. I mean, there's actually a couple of different passages in Luke 14 that we could look at. I'm not going to get us to read the entire thing. Um, I think, can I get you to read Luke 14, 12 to 14 for me? Okay, Luke 14, 12 to 14. So Jesus is uh, eating in the house of a prominent Pharisee. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this from verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host... When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, so at this point you're seeing... I guess Jesus saying, actually, there are poor on, on your doorstep. They can't repay you. Bring them into your homes. Have hospitality with them. Mm. Build a relationship with them. Um, don't just put on like, fancy dinners for your rich friends who will repay you and you will yeah. gain status. So we're seeing, keep, yeah, keep, keep your Bible because we're going to go straight into another passage. Um, so we're seeing that sort of idea of, yeah, relationship building, um, hospitality with those on the margins of society. Yeah. And then directly after that, we have the parable of the great banquet, um, which, uh, can I put you on the spot? Could you Can you summarize the, the parable of the great banquet? If I, you remember, I can. Remember, <laughs> slash I can quickly have a skim. I literally just <laughs> look down at it. Yeah, so it's a parable Jesus tells about a man who has a great banquet mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then <laughs> no he he uh all the people he invited say i can't come i've got yeah. these other priorities the G, uh, the, i was gonna say jesus but it's not jesus the man <laughs> who's holding the banquet tells mm. tells his servants go out and find anyone the poor the lame those wandering the streets and bring them in compel them to come in and uh yeah and that's, that's the great. parable really yeah and do you mind reading we're going to read the last little bit of that um can you read 
Yeah. Verse 21. 21 onwards, yes. And yeah, onwards, yeah, to the end of that little parable. Yeah. So this is after the man's receiving all these uh, rejections to his invitations. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So this is slightly different. So this is a this is a parable, mm. obviously that Jesus is using. Um, James, what is the meaning behind this parable? In thirty seconds, <laughs> I feel like you've definitely preached on this, haven't you? I'm sure oh, I've heard you preach on this. on this. I may have. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I have. I've used my thirty seconds trying to remember <laughs> if I've preached on this. So, the, well, I guess the plain reading of the parable is um, the generosity. I don't know. I would be saying something like, well, if generosity is rejected by some by people, there'll be someone who will benefit from it. Mm, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in this parable, it's those who weren't invited. It's the marginalized mm. who are who experienced the generosity of the host and those who were invited to experience it uh, are out of luck. Okay, that's interesting. So one, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that's so a wrong no, no, interpretation no. at all. It's just off the top um, of my head. One, one way of looking at it is to see the banquet as, like, as a symbol for salvation and this idea of Jesus' provision. Mm. Um, and without going into the ins and outs, the idea of him being rejected, um, that salvation, you know, Jesus' offering being rejected yep. by some people, but him then turning to the marginalized, to the poor, and the lame and the blind, um, all of those people. I'm sorry, am I uh, a little yawn there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm boring, James. <sighs> um, <laughs> it's all this political I know, discussion. It's, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. I'm sorry. I'm also the, Wes is yawning in the corner as well. I'm like, just sending everyone off to sleep. No, it's not. Just it's, give up now, shall I? Well, I wasn't yeah. going to say it, but you brought it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, one way is, is seeing that this offer of salvation um is offered to to those who are marginalized those who are poor and this would be that would be a liberation reading of it to see the preference the it's non-exclusive preference it's not that god only loves the poor it's just that he has a particular heart for for caring for those who are marginalized and this is one example that they are brought in um to to share in in salvation so this would be a yeah maybe a, a liberation theology well that would be a yeah the way a a liberation theology way of reading the the parable Mm. yeah the thing about parables is they can be tricky things they can indeed and and there is a massive danger here do you wanna do can do you have any idea what i'm talking about well do you mean like in the same way that we we all can develop a kind of bias in our reading of scripture um then that the same the same uh, 
trap could be there for liberation theology as well that mm. you end up reading liberation theology into everything in scripture mm. yeah same way that we we all are in danger of doing that with whatever our particular theological slant is yeah i, th I think it's a real balance isn't it between acknowledging that when that we do so firstly we, there is no way to read the bible i think from a completely unexperienced unbiased yeah um and by unexperienced i mean not where you don't bring your own experience yeah, we, to the text uh, of course right. we yeah. we are subjective we're emotional yeah. relational beings um so there's always going to be extent that we do bring a bit of ourselves when we read the bible um and that can be a really good thing like if yeah. we if you are only reading the bible from you know one point of view all the time you are going to miss out on you know Absolutely, a, a yeah. different different theologies different ideas some of the rich color um that we find in the bible so it's definitely good i want to go again so i feel like i'm just all hedging my bets <laughs> constantly it is definitely good to be reading um yeah to, to think about the bible from other points of views um and i think this is particularly the case when we think about okay well actually historically theology has been very west heavenly heavily yeah. westernized and actually at the moment it's it's quite a, in our in the west anyway very middle class yeah religion um and so actually i think it's really important to to ask okay well how do those who are marginalized for whatever reason how how do they see the bible how do they read the bible i think that is a good thing but as you've pointed out there's always a danger of just reading your own views into the text yeah. um which is yeah i think that is a tricky one and very difficult to overcome. yeah and i think as i said we're all that's a trap we all need to avoid. It's not just a trap for liberation theology. It's a trap oh, for 100%, yeah. any uh, particular theological emphases. I think lit literally anything you can... Yeah, <laughs> I've, I recently was reading a book and it felt to me at times that the author was was stretching things, that, sort of stretching the meaning of certain bits of uh, the biblical text to fit his the mm, theology he was bringing mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it and not not um yeah it, not explicitly but like it was like that was all that was obviously at the fore every passage he read he had these certain themes at the forefront of his mind so they always he always brought them out of the passage even though they may not have originally been there mm. in the passage and I mean, a case in point would actually be a very extreme example. One of the liberation theologists. Um, Theologians, I think. is. The what did I say? Theologists. Theologists. <laughs> um, I can do really well at yeah. the English language. Um, <laughs> Learn to language. I genuinely had to, uh, sorry, this is such a sidetrack, but I had to message my friend who, she is a writer. She's very good at English. I had to write, to t message her yesterday and with a sentence be like, what is the noun in this sentence? I need to know. Which is just shocking Nicole, that I've got to 30 years of age. Exactly, you're doing a PhD. I know, I know. And you don't know what the noun is. I don't know, what, don't know where the noun was. Um, but anyway, that's, the, that's not the point. Um, yes, one of the theologians, um, Miranda, he, he looks at, that's his surname, um, he looks at the, the prophets and, and he, in, in the, uh, you know, the written prophets of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, he sees in their work 
um, a stark warning against capitalism. Mm -hmm. Now, now capitalism as a construct wasn't around in the the eighth to sixth centuries BCE. Like it's just not a thing. So there's, you know, there's that danger. Yes. Um, Yeah. I guess. And and the other thing that's just worth saying about liberation theology is they start at the experience of the people. Okay, and they yeah. ask, how does that shape theology? Mm. Um, and actually, as, as evangelicals, that's not a approach to theology that we're necessarily particularly comfortable with a lot of yeah. the time. Um, we, the, the evangelical tradition, as you well know, is, is centered around like, the, like going back to the Bible, what yeah. the scriptures say, and then working out your theology. Mm. And even practical theology, which is a bit more of a learning and, and placing like your praxis, your practice, practice alongside the theology still very much goes back to okay well we need to change our practice because of what we read in the bible rather than thinking okay we need to change the way we read the bible because what we experience in practice does that does that am i making sense absolutely um so yeah there's a few um yeah just a few i guess warnings there well not warnings but yeah observations observations questions yeah (laughs) um i have absolutely no idea how long we've been talking for i feel like i could talk about this for a, a lot longer but i i feel like maybe i should start to okay well why don't, to yeah up. is there anything you want to, to sort of say in summary or conclusion i think perhaps it'd be interesting just to finish about the idea of salvation as liberation mm-hmm. um because we've talked about the social justice elements and you know, how this might mean freedom from capitalism or or freedom from oppression. But actually, I think it is an interesting thought that we, that salvation, the message of the gospel does also free us, liberate us from sin. Because that is also tied up in the message. Um, And I think that's something that is, is true. And there is, there is a spiritual liberation um, that, that Christ brings um as well as a uh practical liberation as well because mm. i do think it's important that we fight against social justice no <laughs> <laughs> that is not at all what i meant there's, there's so many errors in this podcast just uh, <laughs> snip that sound bite out uh, let me try that again That's... i do think it's important that as christians we fight against social injustice right. there just we to go clarify, nicole you mean <laughs> social injustice i do i do i mean the bad stuff in society um and yeah i think i think it is really good to to maybe just end with that thought that jesus does also liberate us in a spiritual sense and and there's a freedom that he brings um you know the the freedom of our identity in christ the freedom of our um yeah our worth being tied up in in him and and in his holiness and not in our own works that is I think one of the, a great thing that's sort of mm. that that theme as well has come out of liberation theology, and I think that's a really positive yeah. aspect. So of the it. recognition that the root cause, in a sense, of injustice and oppression is sin, rather mm. than yes, yeah, a political structure or the, these political capitalism, political structure, all these things come out of uh, humanity. Yeah, and a, and human if humanity is tainted by sin, then. Yeah. That's the real issue. That's a really good way of explaining it. Just, yeah, well, thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you, Nicole. Thank you for sharing and Mm. um, teaching us about the background of liberation theology, some of the key ideas, and hopefully you guys and gals (laughs) 
watching and listening <laughs> uh, benefited from that enjoyed that and and learned something and uh yeah and i think it's a good thing for us to think about is really it's a question of what's the how big a gap is there between our theology and the way we live our practice how we work it out and uh how how involved we are in in seeing things and and bringing change mm. into situations around us so thank you nicole and i'm sure mm, and just think about that. and hopefully we'll uh uh see you again or mm. you'll see us we won't see you again <laughs> on a future episode of postcards from antioch thank you for joining us <laughs>